0: Aloha, this is Pastor Perry, and I want to thank you for joining us online to study the Word of God together. We pray that you will be blessed as the Holy Spirit ministers to you through this message and through God's Word. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. Connor, thank you for doing our reading today. Appreciate that. And I want to commend you. Good job coming to church and good job joining us online. It's uh, Who knew it would be so hard in 2020 to come to church? And we're so glad you're here. And those who can't come watching online, we're we're really glad you're joining us online as well. And we appreciate you who come in person and, and deal with the mask and the social distancing and the chairs and getting your temperature checked We just thank you. It's so good to see you. And I know over the months, people have said they've seen me, but I didn't see you. So when I see you, it's like, ah, there you are. And there's one family I was thinking, I really haven't seen them. And I just wonder why they didn't come back when we opened up the church. And then yesterday, I got a Christmas card from them from New York. So it's like, oh, yeah, they moved. (laughs) So our friends in New York, good to see you or good to be seen. I guess I'm not seeing you, but good to be seen. Would you join with me in prayer as we prepare our hearts for the message this morning? God of peace, we thank you that you are the originator of peace, you are the giver of peace, you are the one who can give us peace in all circumstances internally, and someday we'll bring peace on earth, and we just thank you for that. We ask that you'd instruct us by your Holy Spirit from your word and through me as your vessel about peace today and what you have to teach us. May it help change our lives and may it help us to live in peace ourselves. Lord, we're mindful of those in our community, both online and here in this room, who are struggling with having peace right now. Lord, we know there are financial hardships for some, that there are health hardships and even loss of loved ones during this time. And we pray that you'd minister to those, especially who are hurting today. Minister your peace to them. Lord, we look forward to what you have for us. Please speak now and help us to listen well. And we ask these things in Jesus' marvelous name. Amen. The Vietnam War and the U.S.'s involvement in the Vietnam War started the year I was born, that's 1954, and it continued on and when I turned 18 years old I had to get a draft card because I was an American male and I got a draft card and I have it to this day I did not burn it and I have it to this day and then they gave you a lottery number one out of 365, because of 365 days in the year, depending on where you're born, a lottery number. And the lower your number, the more chances that you would be drafted that year. And I had a very low draft number. So I had a draft card, I had a low draft number, expecting to be drafted to the Vietnam War. When President Nixon brokered a peace deal with the Vietnamese at the end of 72, it was finalized in January of 1973. So that meant I was not drafted, I did not have to fight in Vietnam, and I was the last generation that didn't, didn't go there. Or the first generation that didn't go there, the last generation, you know what I mean. Do I know what I mean? <laughs> so the first 18 years of my life involved a nation in conflict, both abroad but also at home here. There's a lot of controversy over the Vietnam War, and on November 15, 1969, while my own father was serving with the Marines in Vietnam, our nation had the largest anti-war protest in its history. An estimated quarter million people, 250,000 people, came together to protest the Vietnam War. I have vivid memories of growing up, 18 years during this period of time of my life, of watching on the television the conflict, the tragedies, the protests, every night at the dinner hour on either ABC, CBS, and NBC, our three choices. During that time, I also was a typical American teenager. I learned to get around by hitchhiking. Don't recommend that today. I went around barefoot, Thank you, Pastor Pete, who goes around barefoot today. He's a little behind times, but, you know. I wore bell-bottoms, and I had big hair. And to show you that I'm making this up, (laughs) see if you can guess which one I am there with my cousins there. I'm the one with the big hair. And my fellow teenage Americans adopted a one-word salutation. It was ubiquitous. We all used it. It was peace as we greeted one another and held up the peace sign. Everyone wants peace. Well, as we continue our series today, entitled A World in Crisis, today's sermon is A World in Crisis, Peace Needed Here. And it would be a rare person who wouldn't admit that they need peace and want peace, not just nationally or globally, but in their own hearts. As you come to scriptures, and starting with the Old Testament, we have a word for peace in Hebrew, because the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, It's the word shalom, shalom, and shalom is a greeting that the Jewish people used in the Old Testament, and they still use it today, and when they use the word shalom, it's a word filled with meaning, and it carries with it the idea of wholeness, of soundness, of health, of safety, and prosperity, shalom. There is a powerful illustration of this word shalom being used this way in the Old Testament in the book of 1 Samuel. And in 1 Samuel chapter 25, we have David who's offering shalom, who's offering wholeness and soundness and health and safety and prosperity to a man by the name of Nabal. And we pick up the story in 1 Samuel chapter 25. We'll pick it up in verse 5. It says, So David sent ten young men, and David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel and visit Nabal, and greet him in my name, and this is what you shall say. So this is the greeting. Have a long life. Shalom to you. And shalom to your house. And shalom to all that you have. He's saying, I want wholeness and soundness and health and safety and prosperity to you and your home. Now, if you're familiar with the rest of the story, as they call it, then you know the irony of this greeting because Nabal will reject David's shalom. He rebuffs David and his men. He humiliates them. And so David, instead of offering shalom, puts on a sword with his men and goes to attack Nabal and his household. But Nabal had a brilliant and beautiful wife by the name of Abigail, and she intercedes, and she presents gifts to David as he's coming to attack her home and giving him gifts of wine and sheep and figs and raisins and grain, and she restores shalom with David and his men. She restores this concept of wholeness and soundness and health and safety, and prosperity. Well, the next morning, Abigail decides she probably should tell her husband what she did. And when she does, when she tells her husband that she has restored Shalom with David and his men, Nabal has a heart attack. <laughs> and the Bible says he became like stone. And ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal and he died. And the irony is is that David had offered Nabal a long life and greeted him with shalom and health and prosperity. And Nabal, rejecting shalom, lost his life. Well, David then took Abigail, the newly made widow, as his wife, and they lived happily ever after. As far as I know, I wasn't there. Which brings us to one of two principles about peace that we learned today. And if you're taking notes, they're available online for you or at the door as you came in if you didn't get an outline. But peace principle number one is this. Peace, shalom, is life-giving. Peace is life-giving. The peace that President Nixon made with North Vietnam was life-giving to me as an 18-year-old American male. It extended my life. Nabal rejected peace, and he was rejecting what would have been life-giving to him. Peace is life-giving. And this concept is found not only in the Old Testament, but it's also found in the New Testament. And as you may be aware, the New Testament was written in Greek, the Old Testament in Hebrew. So in Hebrew, in the Old Testament for peace, we have the word shalom. But as we come to the New Testament written in Greek, we have the Greek word irini, And Irene, we bring it into the English as a woman's name or a girl's name, Irene, a woman of peace. Great name if you have the name Irene. You're a woman of peace from the Greek word Irene, And we have this Greek word Irene, peace, used in many places in the New Testament. But one place is in Romans chapter 8, verse 6. And in Romans chapter 8, verse 6, the Apostle Paul is writing and he says, For the mind set on the flesh is death. But the mind set on the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is life and peace. Life and peace go together. Life is the opposite of, of course, death. Peace is life-giving. And there's no better illustration of the fact that peace is life-giving than our relationship with God himself when we have peace with God. The Bible tells us in the book of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Now, you need to understand that when we talk about death in Scripture, it means separation. It doesn't mean cessation. In other words, death means you're separated from something. So when you're spiritually dead, it means you're separated from God. It doesn't mean you're a cadaver. It doesn't mean you don't exist. It doesn't mean you're not alive in some way. Because Ephesians 2 tells us we were alive to the things of the world. We walked in the things of the world. We were alive in a worldly sense, but we were separated. We were dead to God. And the scripture goes on to say in Ephesians 2 that even while we were dead, separated from God in our transgressions, that God made us alive together through Jesus Christ. He made peace with God. He made us alive together. So that's why Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, He says in Romans 5.1, therefore, having been justified, in other words, declared righteous, saved by faith, we have peace with God. And we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ took us from death to life, and that gave us peace with God. Life and peace go together. You can't have life without peace, and you can't have peace without life in the presence of God. But peace and life go together, not just in our relationship with God, but also in our relationship with other people. Peace with other people is life-giving to a relationship. And when you are not at peace with someone, it kills that relationship. We see this idea of life and peace mentioned in the last book of the Bible, the book of the Apocalypse. That's the Greek word. The English word is Revelation. And this is the last time the word peace is used in the Bible. In this case, it's the Greek word, irini. And it's found in Revelation chapter 6. And in Revelation 6, we see that God is going to remove peace from the world. And when God removes peace from the world, it results in death. Look with me at Revelation chapter 6, verse 3. It says in Revelation 6, verse 3, When he broke the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come. And another, a red horse went out, and to him who sat on it, it was granted to take peace from the earth. And the people would kill one another. You take away peace, people die. And a large sword was given to him. Now I'd like to give you an important side note here, and I'm going to go off on an important side tangent. And if you don't want to follow me in that tangent, I'll tell you where to come back. But people ask me, In light of the world crises going on right now, whether it's fires in California or a virus pandemic, or whether it's back to back hurricanes in Central America and the southern part of the U.S., or whatever it might be, they asked me, Are we in the Great Tribulation period talked about in Scripture? That seven year period when God pours His wrath on the earth. Are we in that period? Well, be assured, we are not in that period, and you can quote me on that. The Apostle Paul had some readers in um, Thessaloniki, or Thessalonica, as they said back there, and he writes to them, and they were worried that they were in the tribulation period. And he assures them that they are not in the tribulation, and neither are we. That seven-year tribulation period, we know more about it than any other period of future events. It takes up most of the book of of Revelation. Chapters 6 to 19 are all about the tribulation, Revelation 6 to 19. And if you want to know more about that on our sermon podcast, I did a whole series on Revelation that we study. We go into a lot of detail. But the thing to know is the main purpose of the tribulation. And the main purpose of the seven-year tribulation period, when God pours his wrath on the earth, the main purpose is to get the nation of Israel to repent and call Jesus back. Because at his first advent that we're celebrating right now, at his first coming, he presented himself as Messiah to the Jewish nation, and they rejected him. And so he was crucified, buried, he rose from the dead, and he ascended and went back to heaven. And he's going to come back for his second advent, but the scripture makes it quite clear he doesn't come back until the nation of Israel, as a nation, repents and calls him back. That's why Satan, throughout the history of the Jewish people, even to today, is trying to destroy the Jews. If you destroy the Jews, the nation can't repent, and Jesus doesn't come back, because that's the condition. Now, this is mentioned a number of places in Scripture, but let me just show you one in the Old Testament and one place in the New Testament. In Hosea, he is a Jewish prophet, and he's recording words spoken by Jesus. Now, keep in mind that Jesus is God, so Jesus has always existed as God. He took on human flesh at his first advent. We celebrate that at Christmas, taking on human flesh, but he's always existed as God. So in Hosea, before Jesus has taken on human flesh, he still exists, and he has something to say, and he says it through the prophet Hosea. In Hosea 5, 15, this is what we read. Hosea writes it, but these are Jesus' words. Jesus says, I will go away and return to my place. Now he's referring to the fact that he's going to come to earth and be rejected, so he will go away. And where does he go to? He returns to his place, which is heaven, where he came from, because he got rejected. And he says, I will do that. I will stay in heaven until they acknowledge their guilt. They is a nation of Israel. To they acknowledge their guilt, what's their guilt? They rejected Jesus as the Messiah. And he says, until they recognize that and then seek my face, call me back. He says, I'll be away. He says, in their affliction, that's a reference to the seven-year tribulation period. The purpose of the tribulation is to get the Jewish nation to repent and call Jesus back. And he says, in their affliction, they will earnestly seek me. They will call me back. So the purpose of the tribulation period is to get the nation of Israel to call Jesus back. And Jesus said this same thing centuries later when he was here on earth. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 39, Jesus himself says the same thing. Matthew 23, 39, he's speaking to the nation of Israel that has already rejected him. He hasn't been crucified yet, but they've rejected him. And he says, For I say to you, that's the nation of Israel, from now on you shall not see me. Because he went to heaven. Until, when will they see him? Until you say, and now he quotes from the Old Testament. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, name in Scripture means character. And that word Lord is the Greek way of saying Yahweh. So he says, I'm not coming back until you recognize that I have the character of God, that I am Yahweh. And when you recognize that, I will return. But of course, as Christians, as the church, we've already repented. The purpose of the tribulation is to bring unrepentant people to repentance. We've repented. There's no reason for us to go through the tribulation. And that's why Jesus takes us out. And that's why Paul wrote his concerned Christian friends in Thessalonica. And in 1 Thessalonians 4, he describes they're going to be caught up. In the Latin Bible, that's called a rapture, so often we use the Latin and call it the rapture. But you're caught up to heaven, and then 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 goes into the tribulation period. So Paul says, you're removed, and then you have the tribulation in 1 Thessalonians 5. And as I mentioned, we go into much more detail in our Revelation series that's available on our podcast. Okay, if you didn't go with me on the sidetrack, come back, and let's talk about peace. (laughs) God is the author of life. He's also the author of peace, the God of peace. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 verse 16. 2 Thessalonians 3:16. Now may the Lord of peace, he's the God of peace, the Lord of peace himself continually grant you peace when in every circumstance. The Lord be with you all. If you want peace, God provides it, and he provides it in every circumstance, even though that circumstance itself isn't very peaceful. I looked up the definition of the English word peace in the online dictionary, Webster's online dictionary, and the first reference there is the word tranquility. Peace is tranquility. Does that represent your heart today? Is it tranquil? That's what God offers us in every circumstance, which brings us to our second peace principle this morning, and that's this, number two on your outline there. Peace is not just the absence of conflict. A lot of times you think, oh, if there's no conflict, I'm at peace. It's more than that. It is also the presence of tranquility in your heart, tranquility. When I was studying Spanish in Costa Rica for several months, I was living with a Costa Rican family, and one day, I don't know, I was upset about something or anxious, and and the hostess that was taking care of me, she just said to me in one word, tranquila. Tranquila. Which is Spanish for something. (laughs) Yeah. It's the way they say to be tranquil, to be peaceful, and maybe we should use that word. Tranquil. And Jesus says you can be tranquil. You can have tranquility inside, even though there's not peace around you. The beautiful thing about peace, shalom, irini, whatever word you use, is that you can have it in the midst of trials. You can have it in the midst of conflict. You can have it in the midst of pandemics and uncertainties and political and national quibblings. You can have tranquility in every circumstance because of Jesus Christ. And that's what Jesus provides for us at his first advent. He provides peace, not on earth in terms of the earth is peaceful, but in terms that you can be peaceful in a world that's not yet at peace. In Romans 12, 18, the Apostle Paul is writing, and he tells us in Romans 12, 18, if possible, sometimes it's not possible, but if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. You've had the same experience that I have. Some people just don't want to be at peace with you. Some people just want to stay ticked off at you. Some people are never going to reconcile with you. Well, let me suggest you don't ride their emotional roller coaster. Let them go there on their own. You can be tranquil towards somebody who's upset at you. It's your choice, not their choice, how you relate to them. And that's why we're told, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. It'd be nice if they're at peace with you and you're at peace with them, but sometimes that doesn't happen. But you still can be at peace in your own heart. You can choose tranquility rather than hostility. It's your choice. It's my choice. I was reading the story of a woman, true story, who learned to have this kind of peace. She had a three-year-old little boy who was called Biscuit, I don't know why they called him Biscuit, but that was his little name, and Biscuit one day was sleeping in the back of an old Cadillac parked in front of his house when there was a drive-by shooting. 14 bullets went through the Cadillac, one of them hit little three-year-old Biscuit in the head and he died instantly. Biscuit's mother, a woman by the name of Charletta Evans, would learn to forgive the gunmen, who at that time were teenagers, ages 15 and 16 years old. Because they were teens, they went to prison, they were given a life sentence, and they were given a life sentence without parole. Sometime later, it was changed to a life sentence with the possibility of of parole. And these two shooters, Johnson and Little John, Felt remorse for what they had done. They hadn't meant to kill this little boy. They didn't know he was in the car. They thought someone else was. And so they began to write letters to Biscuit's mother, Charlotta. And she says, because of her faith, she learned to forgive the murderers of her little son. She said, I had never encountered such a powerful spirit of forgiveness that came over me and through me and went to them. But it took years before she would ever visit these two in prison. In fact, it took 16 years. And after 16 years, hoping to get some closure, Charlotta Evans, Biscuit's mother, went to visit 32-year-old Johnson in prison. That was the first time. When a reporter asked her, what did he say to you? She said, he pretty much said to me, I need help. And I need you to reach out to me. And then he asked the most astonishing thing. He asked me if I would be his mother. The man who had killed her child was asking her to adopt him, figuratively speaking, as her son. She says, I sat there and said, yes, I will, and I will forgive. Prisoner Johnson said, after saying that, she grabbed my hand and said she wanted to touch the hand of the man responsible for taking her son's life. And Charletta Evans told the reporter, I wanted to touch his hand so that it would be real to me that I truly had forgiven him sometime later when she was being interviewed by reporters from CBS they heard the phone ring in her house and she answered the phone and they overheard a conversation and it went like this hello mother Johnson said from prison how are you son was Charlotta Evans reply she had forgiven him and she had peace in her heart if possible so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. Now this would be a great place to end, but I'm not done yet. <laughs> but I'll be done shortly. A couple verses. Seven hundred years before Jesus was born, the prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 9:6, the passage that was read earlier: "For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders." And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And there will be no end of the increase of his government of peace. Well, friends, that hasn't happened yet. You see, Jesus at his first coming offers us peace now inside of us. But at his second coming, he will rule the world and he will bring peace to the world outwardly forever. In Luke chapter 2, verse 14, the angels announced at Jesus' first coming, Luke 2 14, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, but not a worldwide peace, peace among people with whom he is pleased. You have peace individually because of his first coming, but the world at large will have peace at his second coming. Peace in your heart now and peace in our world forever. Shalom alecum. Peace to you is how you say it in Hebrew. And you respond with alecum shalom. To you, peace. Will you pray with me? I'd like to ask you to bow your heads even if you're watching online. Even as I talk, would you bow your heads so you can have a quiet moment. Have you made peace with God? It's not made by your good works, not by your efforts, not by trying. The only way you can have peace with God is through Jesus Christ, who died for your sins, who conquered death and rose from the grave. If you believe that and have never made peace with God by receiving Jesus as your Savior, I urge you in this moment to cry out to him and just say something like, Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me. I received from you the gift of the forgiveness of sins and the gift of eternal life. And I say thank you, Lord Jesus. Lord, we ask that you'd help us to choose peace. Choose peace with others. Choose peace with our circumstances. And we look forward to the day when you return and you will be the Prince of Peace and the government will rest on your shoulders and the world will be at peace. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen.